3: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark
4: Moss Show, where we talk about the decentralized revolution each and every week, talking about the way the world is changing. Of course, as we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology, and of course, that technology is Bitcoin, the decentralized technology that's changing the world. You know, I try to bring to you, you know, some education, some late breaking headlines so you're always uh, up to date on what's going on, and of course, some interesting people so you don't have to listen to me talk all the time, and that's what we have for you today today. I'm uh, happy to uh, have Natalie Smolinski join me in the studio today Natalie thanks so much for joining me
5: My pleasure great to be here
4: Yeah man so many good things uh, to talk about with you I'm excited to have you sitting down with me today you know uh <laughs> trying to create content in this environment has been pretty easy because there's never <laughs> ending amount of stuff to talk about it's insane right you know i I know uh you know I've, I've read some of your stuff and I love your take on uh on just kind of the way that the world is changing politics and things like that um I know you're involved in in Bitcoin and mining and things like that so let's kind of let's kind of start with that yeah um, it all wraps up in together into one, right? It's mm-hmm. like, uh, that's why I said, I, li- I like to look at politics, finance, and technology together to get things in, in context. But we have like this time where um, we kind of have this aging empire that typically kind of goes in the same kind of course of action uh, where they're trying to grasp for control. We have the banking system collapsing. Um, we, and, and then- Trying to grab any kind of uh, control they can, it seems like they're kind of starting to seal off the exits, right? Trying to close down potentially exits into into Bitcoin, things like that. Um, and so we've seen attacks coming from every angle, including um, this week, even regarding um, probably what could control Bitcoin through both the Restrict Act, and then I know in Texas specifically, which has been very pro Bitcoin uh, mining, seems to even kind of be coming under attack. Mm-hmm. Maybe kind of frame up a couple of those tacks for us. Yeah,
5: yeah, absolutely. Um, So, I mean, we're definitely in the then they fight us stage um, regarding Bitcoin adoption. There's um, unmistakably a uh, influential and growing phalanx of um, policymakers, including elected officials who are openly hostile to Bitcoin um, and who are enemies to Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, I, th- I think a lot of people in the community have made good faith efforts to reach out to these folks and to educate them and, and to engage in good faith dialogue. Um, but they're not interested in that. Um, and so the thing about enemies is that, you know, for the most part, uh, the most effective way to deal with them is simply to keep building. Um, and ignore them, um, sort of create the alternatives that are inevitable to the point where they become irrelevant. But, um, if they bring the fight to Bitcoiners, I think Bitcoiners are going to have to bring the fight back.
4: Mm. Yeah, I love that. Actually, I was in uh, Jackson Hole recently for the Bitcoin Ski Week and I came up and I kind of made a post where it's like, you know, buying Bitcoin is is a defensive move, mm-hmm. right? I can go defend myself, defend my savings, my property, et cetera. But it's time to be offensive. We can't just be defensive. And I'm not talking about storming the Capitol, but building is exactly what I was talking about. Time for entrepreneurs to step up. So I love that. Love that. Do you think, are they hostile to Bitcoin? Mm-hmm. Are they hostile to cryptocurrencies? Mm-hmm. Or are they just hostile to technology and period? That's- yeah,
5: I, I think there's a lot of overlap between those circles on, on the Venn diagram. Um, and what's, what's interesting is that the um, particularly the ESG kerfuffle over Bitcoin has raised the question of whether electricity usage itself will be politically restricted. Um, you know, the singling out of Bitcoin mining as an undesirable use of computational power is, um, I mean, it obviously politically ludicrous. Um, but in an era where technology is accelerating exponentially, um, compute power is also accelerating. Um, and so there is, there is no future in which the world loses, uses less compute. Um, there's a world, um, in which computational operations become more and more energy efficient, but the amount of those operations will continue to increase if civilization continues to advance. Um, you know, a world in which we use less computational power over time is is a world in which human civilization is collapsing. Um, And that's not a happy or good world or a politically progressive world for anyone. Um, And so I think there is a basic set of principles that um, policymakers and public intellectuals need to be educated in around technology, having a material basis in energy and resources—that is um, unalightable you, you can't legislate that away.
4: Yeah, there's 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 a lot to unpack there. There's uh, I guess kind of to the point that you're making. I mean, there's attacks coming from multiple different angles here, and so there's there's obviously the attack on energy. Mm-hmm. But that's not against technology. That's just against hum- humanity, right? That's yeah. against human flourishing, as Alex uh, Epstein would say. I mean, it's against energy use then they could claim that, well, Bitcoin is bad because it uses energy, but to the point you're making all computing power <laughs> uses energy. Right. Um, yeah. And then we have, uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren going on this rampage today, trying to build a campaign basically against crypto specifically. Yeah. Which is very rich for her. I saw, uh, Princey posted, yeah, her net worth is $67 million. Mm-hmm. She has $45 million in assets on a $280,000 salary. Yeah. Um, so she's enriched herself in this fiat system. I suppose that's one reason why you might be mad about another system. <laughs> but the insanity, um, I think maybe it was Lynn Alden. She said, um, you know, if you break down what is, what is uh, you know, Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies, it's, you know, like a decentralized ledger. It's uh, databases achieving consensus. So we're going to s- make a stance against databases that can achieve consensus.
2: <laughs> yeah.
4: Right? Right. <laughs> I feel like we're kind of getting to this point where technology, well, I don't feel that, I believe strongly uh, that we're getting to this point where technology is making governments obsolete and incompetent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just recently read this book called The Revolt of the Public. Mm. Uh, it, was a, it was a really good book. I interviewed the author as well. Mm. And he basically makes the case that um, now because we have access to information because of the smartphones. Uh, or, or not smartphones, but because of the internet. Um, and really, just like in the Protestant Reformation, when the printing press released information, the governments, the church and state couldn't control that flow of information. Right. And today, this is the same thing, same phenomenon, where the internet is the same thing, and they can't control that flow of information. And he talked about how um, in the industrial age... Uh, basically, you know, Henry Ford kind of had the assembly line and everybody moved, the masses moved into these factories and they were able to create management techniques to manage the masses in this assembly line. And everybody was kind of the same and how government basically took the same kind of formation, just like these, these, uh, mass factories could control the masses as digits than government did, but we don't live in that anymore. Now we're in the information age. And he, he argues that the form of government that we have today is not compatible with the world that we live in, right? Because <laughs> now we have this free full of information. We don't have these central authorities anymore uh, coming down and, and giving us this, de- this decree. And that's sort of kind of like what we have here. Um, I want to get into that. I also, I, I, I like this. Uh, I was reading, I, I went back and read this uh, article. You talked about uh, the American Republic uh, and democratic revolutions, which kind of seemed to fit into that a little bit. I want to dig into mm-hmm. that a little bit. And some more. I got to take a quick break. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Mark Moss Show, of course, talking about the decentralized revolution each and every week. I'm sitting down with Natalie Smolinsky and we are discussing policy, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, technology, uh, government overreach. I want to get into this restrict act that's going through that might be the most dangerous piece of legislation I've ever seen, and a whole lot more. So I'm going to take a quick break. We'll be back with all of that and more in a
0: minute. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant.
2: they connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print, or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. From BBC Radio
6: 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast,
7: is going on a road trip.
4: All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution. And I am joined by guest Natalie Smolinski. You can find her on Twitter at N Smolensky And she is uh, here talking about some of these policies. I know you've been kind of arguing for some of these uh, policies that they're trying to put against Bitcoin. We were talking about Bitcoin and crypto. And I was saying uh, before we had to take a break, sort of uh, it's sort of making these uh, governments look incompetent. I kind of want to go back just to the question I'd asked um, is it Bitcoin that they're going against like with this uh energy use thing mm. is it is it crypto because of the the sinking ship of the financial system, or is it technology overall mm-hmm. and and I'm not sure what your answer was is it like all of that yeah. and it's all a bunch of different factions
5: yeah um a- absolutely so there you know there are factions that focus on you know more on each one of those categories, but there's a lot of overlap. Um, There's a lot of technophobia. um, There's a lot of, um, you know, sort of phobia or hatred of um, corporations that are ostensibly, you know, destroying the environment through all the, all of this energy usage. And it's really remarkable for me to watch the, um, the cultural production that's happening uh, around this. There's, there's a, a new show, and I'm I'm struggling to um, remember the title now that I watched. It's like um, starts with an E, but it, it deals with it's sort of a near future sci-fi that deals with the effects of of climate change in the imagining of, of the author, and it has a star-studded cast, including like Meryl Streep and Ed Norton and all these people. And watching it is like. It's like watching religious television, like the like you immediately know who you're supposed to like, who you're supposed to hate, the good guys, the bad guys um, like the there is a kind of apocalyptic worldview that's on display, um, a righteous minority that's fighting it. You know, it's very good versus evil. Um, and, you know, this this kind of polarized view of the world has become more and more frequent um even among you know really thoughtful people really well educated people i think in large part because the the problems that we're facing as a species seem to be so intractable and complex that people don't know where to even begin um in in solving them and so you have you know ludicrous suggestions like Um, one of the ones that came out of one of the recent COP um, meetings uh, where Prince Charles suggested that, you know, we needed to spend three times the world's GDP to solve climate change. Um, But, okay, okay, that presumes that we already know what the solution to this problem is. Um, We just need money. Uh, But that's that's truly not the case. Like (laughs) money is not, a lack of money is not the problem here. Um, it's yeah. that we're dealing with something with something that is um, an emergent, complex, not just natural system, but social system, uh, human economic system, um, and there are there are real effects um, to whatever policy direction we take. Um, and you know, governments are proving that they are, in fact not the venue um, that is capable of solving these problems. And so then the question becomes, um, what are the alternatives to action by the state? Um, and we're seeing that in these orthogonal movements of which Bitcoin is just one example.
4: Hmm. Yeah. I love that. Uh, yeah, we have all these different complex systems that all interact with each other, which make it even a bigger complex system. And to think that you can fix something with one button push without affecting all these other things. Yeah. I commented on, uh, uh uh Preston Pish put out a tweet earlier this morning and he was talking about how all with, with the banking collapse, a lot of these smaller banks going down is now affecting the LNG and the energy markets. Yeah. And so I was like, I commented and I was like, so uh to fight inflation, we raise rates. <laughs> to raise rates, we crush the banking sector. Right. Then we have to bail them out, that's inflationary. Right. Then we damage the industry, en- energy industry, which is inflationary. Right. So by by thinking there's one single uh, metric or one single trigger of of, uh, of interest rates, but then we cause all these other problems, and it's sort of like then thinking we can control the entire world right. that we don't even understand with a single metric like carbon right. or carbon emission. Yep. Um, so, what do you think is the is the proper way to do it? Uh, and and I would just say for me, I think that complex systems have to be free and let them sort of figure it out. I think a lot of it comes from a worldview where these people have like a God-like complex. They think they're God and they have to go figure
5: this out. It's up to them. Yeah.
4: Um, I don't know. What, what's your take on that? Yeah.
5: Um, absolutely. So any bottom up theory of change, you know, whether we're talking about Austrian economics or, um, you know, certain versions of socialism or, um, you know, anarcho syndicalism or whatever. Um, you know, is premised on the idea that um, human individual agents acting in their own interest um, will over time coalesce into social formations that um, give us more accurate information, for example, about price, um, better living conditions for everyone, because we don't have these like over leveraged social actors imposing their will on others um, and create sort of de-risk change. So um, the s- system will include both the ability to exit and the ability to influence a system through voice, um, which are both necessary mechanisms of adaptation and reform. The the problem with uh the way that governments are currently constellated is that they, you know, they have a few tools in their toolkit. Um, they like to cut off the exits. They like to cut off voice. So in effect, render voice ineffective. Um, and then they like to pick winners. Um, and so when you
4: when you say they, in this instance, you're talking about like the, the powers that be. Right, I guess, right. So,
5: so um, uh, representatives of the state, uh, government right. agencies, heads of those agencies, um, the executive branch, um, even in some cases, powerful legislators um, or judicial actors, um, they have a tendency to put their thumbs on the scale um, to such an extent that they render the system as a whole more fragile. Um, And so what happens is that, you know, social pressure for change builds up, it has nowhere to go. um, And it then gets released, um, either in like big acts of coordinated revolution, um, or in smaller acts of sort of stochastic violence, um, you know, which like we've been seeing in the United States and like the mass shooting phenomenon, like, why is that why is that phenomenon accelerating? And it's it's not just people of one ideological orientation. It's people- It's
4: a, it's a good question that should be <laughs> should be asked <laughs> right. for sure. We should definitely stop. I got to take a quick break. If yeah. you just tune in, you're listening to the Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution, but we're talking about so much more. I'm joined by guest uh, Natalie Smolinsky and um, digging into these complex systems and figuring out maybe where it's going wrong. I want to dig into that last part you talked about. And then I want to get into- thinking about it from a hopeful perspective, what can we do maybe to make things a little bit better? So we'll talk about all that and more. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a minute. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
2: Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract's fine print, or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms.
6: From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going
7: on a road trip.
4: All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution. I'm in the studio with Natalie Smolinski. We're talking about complex systems and democratic governments and, of course, money and technology. You know, um, Natalie, you were talking about these systems. One of the things that you said a couple times was we have to have the ability to exit the system. Mm -hmm. So when I think about that, when I think about exiting the system, I think about much smaller systems Um, sort of like the United States government was set up Mm -hmm. as a republic. And by uh, being able to exit one system and enter another system, then it allows those systems to test different um, operating systems, if you will, as well as we get to see what competition can do to outcompete each other. Is that one of the things that you're kind of thinking about in the ability to exit the system?
5: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, So one one of the interesting things about Um, The formation of the American Republic is, you know, the earliest Americans didn't didn't come to America to fight a revolution against the British crown. That was not that was not their goal. They came for other reasons. They were exiting um, in order to uh, trade more freely, worship more freely, um, escape the lifelong burden of debt. Um, That was just an ingrained practice uh, in the old world um, to you know, live without the inherited burden of uh, aristocratic uh, power, um, which defined the horizon of class possibility in, in Europe. And so you know, people, people exit in order to pursue specific goals. Um, and then if the reasons for exit become unattainable, um, well, then the only other option is voice. Um, and then, if you can't use voice either <laughs> to, to achieve your goals, well at that, at that point, um, you've uh, sort of the, the social system is set up uh, for violence um, to, to be really the only only path forward. And so yeah. the reason that you know democratic governments are so um, compelling, politically, is because they're ostensibly, in theory, structured to facilitate peaceful transitions of power. If you don't like one government, you can vote a different one in that you like better. And that makes your life better. And so you can use voice. And then if you still don't like that government, you're free to emigrate elsewhere, you're free to go elsewhere. Um, what, What we've seen in the past few decades is a sort of um uh, capture of the democratic process by the political parties who are themselves not democratic institutions and are very open about that. Um and but it's a threat to our democracy,
4: <laughs> we're being told.
5: <laughs> right. And so in yeah. a, in effect, like we we can't exit um as easily as we used to, and our voice is less impactful than ever before. Um, and so then what is the remedy? Well, it's, it's a little bleak.
4: Yeah. Especially when the last, the, the last option that you gave us, which there's other options we'll get to, but, um, as you just laid that out, which is the democratic process, which yeah. I view as the tyranny of the minority by the majority. So there's that we could, we could unpack that, especially if the democratic process doesn't work, but, um, but specifically then if you, if they limit your voice, And so, you know, I've been kind of framing this up as kind of this war of information, really where we're going. Um, I had a great conversation with Dr. Robert Malone, um, talking about what he framed up as the fifth generation of warfare, which is what he says that we're in, which is sort of this like psychological warfare, information warfare. And so the way that you win an information, a war of information is by controlling the information. Um, If uh, I, I believe truth would win, but if they don't have truth on their side, then they have to censor that. And so... I think that's sort of what we're seeing. So now uh, they've taken, they've captured the democratic process. Now they have to capture the ability to voice our opinions, mm-hmm. and that's uh, I've I've uh, I've seen this coming. I'm sure you've seen it coming, and it really seems like it's coming to a head with this restrict act.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: I mean, this is potentially. I, I told my wife and um, my uh, producer here it might've been six months ago, a year ago. And I said, there's a, probably a good chance in the next two years, I won't be able to do what I'm doing here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And meaning speaking out publicly, criticizing the government. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, in the next two years, <laughs> here we are with this restrict act that potentially could like put that in check, like right away. Right. Would you say that's one big piece of them trying to kind of grasp on and control us from being able to speak out?
5: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the restrict act is quite possibly the most uh, totalitarian piece of legislation I've ever seen um, in the Never. in the United States, and it's you know its adherents or authors rather um, have responded to me on Twitter and said this is you know you're spreading misinformation, you're misunderstanding um, the intent of the law. It's really nothing particularly True. new. It's drawing yeah. on you know this uh, other you know legislation on uh, foreign investments and the Patriot Act and blah blah. I would suggest, though, that um, the status quo already is quite draconian. Um, And most people are just not aware of the extent um, to which the the federal government has become capable of policing um, speech. And now the uh, sort of, you know, there's generally by the time something is proposed as a bill for Congress, it's already been going on for a very long time. Um, And the the congressional authorization is sort of the fig leaf um, legitimizing practices that are already well underway. Um, And so, you know, for decades, the the uh, the government of both both parties, uh, Democrat and Republican, has had the point of view that the Secretary of Commerce and the Secretary of Defense should uh, be able to regulate information technologies, um, including uh, encryption technologies, including um, the internet, um, you know, the broadest possible uh, authority over telecommunications, because these things constitute potential national security threats. Always, it's always yeah. you know for your security. Yeah. yeah.
4: Yeah, there's a couple of pieces in there that were extremely uh, troubling. I think one, first of all, to the point that you kind of said first, where some of them have kind of come out, to, uh, come come on Twitter and said, "Hey, you're kind of misinterpreting this, or you're misconstruing this." Um, a lot of this is intentionally broad and vague, mm-hmm. so it can be interpreted any way they want. Absolutely. So that's that's a big that's a big problem. Yep, couple couple of things that I saw. I mean, it seemed worse than what I might expect living in North Korea. I mean, if you violate this, you're subject to 20 years in prison, a million dollar fine and loss of all your property. Right. So I, I say something or do something they don't like and I lose all my property, Right. 20 years in prison, and with no due process. Yep, yep. Like what? <laughs> no due process? That's miles late greatly forward. And then even more troubling, well, I don't know about more, but equally as troubling, was the unlimited hiring power to positions of enforcement and unlimited funds with little or no review and immunity to FOIA requests? <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean that's worth it. I mean that's that that that's like trying to one up I, I put a Twitter thread out and I said, uh, if you can't beat China. Uh, join them. Right. And it's like, I mean, we're trying to one-up them.
5: Oh my God. Yeah. 10 X, them. like in China, you know, if you, if you access a banned app through a VPN, like the most likely thing that's going to happen is that your phone is going to stop functioning in certain ways until you delete the VPN. Um, or until you delete the app, uh, you may get fined, you know, like less than a hundred bucks um in extreme cases if they if they choose to come after you they could put you in prison for a few months or or a few years but it's nothing like this <laughs>
4: yeah yeah nothing nothing like this i mean it's just yeah it's just insane and and again it's equally broad and vague so that it can be applied and and it also allows them some deflection like oh that's not really what it says which means right. it's open to interpretation yep. which means that they could um they could interpret however they want. You're listening to the Mark Ma Show. We're talking about the decentralized revolution, talking about right now some of these laws that are coming against technology and our ability to protect ourselves with cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. I'm in the studio with Natalie Smolensky. I'm going to be back with more in a minute. Don't go away. I'm going to be right back.
2: Let me just run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years.
4: All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I'm talking with Natalie Smolinsky. We're talking about a lot of things. We're talking about the Restrict Act, which is potentially the most restrictive act we've ever seen come forward. Um, Natalie, you know, this is really scary. The one thing that scares me about this is there's a lot of big-name people um, you know, rep- rep- representatives signed on to this bill. This isn't like some little obscure freshman put this bill forward. Like we see that happen all the time and you know, they don't stand a chance. This has a lot of very prominent uh, people on this bill. Um, I can't imagine it would go through like this, but because of all the big names that are on there, it makes me think maybe it could. Mm -hmm. Um, What's your take on that? You think this gets trashed and then probably comes back a little bit lighter or what are you thinking?
5: Um, Yeah, I I think it's, it's evidence of the accelerating consolidation of power in the imperial presidency that has been underway for decades now. So every presidential administration Pushes that trend further and further, and then often, you know, the next administration gets elected on a platform of uh, rolling back some of that consolidation of executive power, but they then they end up just doing it more. Um, so, in yeah. the case of the Biden administration, the restrict act was actually uh, born out of um, the Democratic Party's opposition to President Trump's executive order to ban TikTok which was challenged in the courts and never implemented. Um, and, you know, Biden uh, ran in part on, you know, not taking these kind of unilateral executive actions. Um, but instead, he, he issued an executive order to research the problem of TikTok and apps. And so now it's been researched and this bill is a product of that research. And lo and behold, it's even worse than President Trump's executive order. Um, and so what happens is the new normal just becomes worse and worse and worse with every administration until the point where we no longer have a, a republic.
4: <laughs> right. Yeah. That, I, I, I try to always remind people to keep that in mind, you know, laws, whether you like them or not. When I turned 18, my dad told me, remember, Mark, when you go to vote, every law, whether you like it or not, is less freedom. That was the one thing he kind of instilled in me. And I think I look at like Ron DeSantis, what he's doing in Florida. And while I generally like what he's doing and I would almost want to move to Florida to go support him, a lot of times I actually look at it from both sides and I'm like, wait a minute though, that's an authoritarian move. And that could easily be, just because I agree with it doesn't make it right Right. because that could easily be used against me. And so he's also doing very authoritarian moves. I just happen to agree with him so it doesn't offend me as much. But you have to be able to look at it from both sides. Now- the way this is going, and to your point, it's an escalation. It just continues to build on, on top of its next, although this, I, I call it the Obama-Biden administration, has taken things to a whole nother level. <laughs> um, now, I saw John Kerry's talking about how Biden's now going to release a bunch of executive orders for climate change now, right. including regulating cars and trucks and all these things. Now, it, it looks sort of bleak. Uh, to your point, you've said, you know, they've kind of co-opted the democratic process. Our vote, our vote doesn't matter so much anymore. Now they're doing lots of things to try to restrict our voice. That's pretty scary. You know, with I'm, I'm very bullish on these uh, decentralized tools. Obviously, Bitcoin, the decentralized monetary uh, network, and then like Noster, like a decentralized uh, communication network, super bullish on that. And so I know the state can't shut those down, but they could threaten to kill you. Mm-hmm. Yep. right? Which is sort of almost what this is. This is like almost death, right? Mm-hmm. And so like they know they can't shut the Joe Rogans down right. or a million little me's. Right. <laughs> um, but if they could just say, hey, we'll put you in prison forever, then they sort of do. So you had said earlier, you know, talking about kind of exiting the system and we kind of started about, I, I, I said, we it's time to go on the offensive. What do you think of like, what's our best course of action? If we can't, if we can't, uh, you know, we can't vote. Our, our vote doesn't count as much. Our voice can't really be heard. I mean, do we try to change things through the economic means?
5: Yeah. So, you know, Bitcoin is a fantastic example of of not using the political process at all. Um, uh, a bottom-up theory of change through user adoption of a superior money. Um, and so it's just, you know, superior technology. Once it's out of the bag, it doesn't matter if you like it or hate it it's it's going to (laughs) win. And so I I actually am very optimistic and very bullish um, on the Bitcoin front. But a world in which Bitcoin wins isn't necessarily a good world. Like when we're when we're talking about the demise of confidence in the um, American empire, de-dollarization. I mean, that's a world in which billions of people suffer like really yeah. really suffer and and a lot of
4: in, in the transitional period right. most likely
5: um, and this is why interestingly a lot of people refuse to entertain uh, the bitcoin thesis and are just like viscerally emotionally opposed to it because they're like well you know bitcoin only wins if everything falls apart and you people are psychopaths to want that <laughs> well it's not that we want it it's that Um, You cannot trust structures of authority over the long term, Um, any authority, um, even the ones that start out nice and good and and that you like because power corrupts always no exception. If it if it can do something over a long enough period of time, it will. Um, That's the whole premise of the Enlightenment um, theory of of governance um and so i I
4: would i would i would want to just maybe see if i could push back on that for a second uh to your point a transition is going to be very difficult and to the point i would also agree um if the dollar system comes crashing down anytime soon um it's going to be a world of hurt for a lot of people yeah um however um you know i saw lynn alden posted this earlier today on twitter and she said uh i in the charts below dollar homogeny in its current form is synonymous with anti-Merkelist policy." meaning that it hollows out domestic industrial capacity in exchange for widening the external reach of political military influence of the country. So basically, uh, you've seen all the charts on like WTF happened 1971. Since we've gone into this system, this dollar homogeny, this fiat money system, um, inflation has ravaged everybody in the US, it's hollowed out the middle class, it's driven all types of societal conflicts. It's, uh, you know, as charts show on the website led to, you know, um, incarceration rate going up divorce rates going up health obesity rates going up and what we've done to the rest of the world i mean we live with this inflation and some of us get by okay a lot of people are not doing okay but the rest of the world has been completely ravaged and we're causing one revolution after another after another after another because they can't afford to eat what we've seen in lebanon and turkey and argentina and venezuela and a lot of that's because of the dollar so um, it's sort of like um, It's sort of like, uh, you know, these anti energy people saying, hey, this apocalyptic future. And Alex Epstein's like, it's apocalyptic today for a lot of people. And so when we think about this dollar demise, what is it really doing? It allows us to sanction anyone, allows us to keep military bases all over the world. But what is it doing to increase the quality of life of anybody in the United States and and even more specifically the world?
5: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, it was very very much like Lynn said earlier today, um, you know, what's good for America, the empire isn't necessary; isn't necessarily good for America, the country. Um, yeah. But. Uh, yeah,
4: exactly. Yeah.
5: Um, and so I'm, I'm in full agreement. I mean, we need to reshore um, our manufacturing capabilities. We need to invest in domestic talent um, in, you know, our education sector. Like these are things that we've, We've we've just increasingly outsourced at all levels of the socioeconomic ladder um, to foreign talent outside of the United States. Well, you know we should be incentivizing people to come here and build in America. Um, literally, you know, making America great again, uh, yeah. the world's talent capital. Um, we're very. Are you one of those magas? Now. You want to make America great? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, you're, you're absolutely right. And, um, and this is the thing about, uh, structural transitions. They may be necessary. They may absolutely be the healthier thing over the long run. Um, but the longer a problem has sort of festered, um, and the more, the more bags people are holding in the old system, the more painful that transition is going to be. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Good point. Uh, man, that's so, so much good information, so much food for thought. Um, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show, Na- uh, sitting down with Natalie Smolinsky. You can find her on Twitter, at N Smolinsky. We'll leave it in the show notes down below. Um, man, we covered a lot of ground. Uh, Natalie, thanks so much for taking the time. And with that, we got to go. Thanks so much for listening. My pleasure. From BBC
6: Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road
7: trip. I thought...